Lingua Britannica is a podcast that uses ethnographic interviews to study language use in the extreme metal community. We are studying a music scene known for its love of themes and topics generally considered offensive, and it is likely that some episodes will touch on topics or opinions some listeners may find tasteless or ethically problematic. Ethnographic researchers aim to adopt the interviewee's point of view so that we can draw out and study the attitudes, beliefs, and practices that are important to them. We want to make it clear that in presenting these conversations here, we do not endorse any of their content. Our aim is to explore the thought processes behind language use in this long-running international and yet understudied scene. Hey everyone, welcome back to Lingua Britannica with me, Jess Benny Smith, and my co-host Wes Robertson. Hello. Uh, in this episode, we're talking to John O'Colliver, vocalist and lead guitarist of Australian doom metal project Dr. Colossus. Thanks for being with us, John. Pleasure, absolute pleasure. And uh, I should cut you off as well and just explain I'm not, I'm probably not a lead guitarist. Um, I'm just a humble rhythm guitarist but oh really okay sorry yeah. i got that wrong <laughs> no no that's fine oh for a while i was the only guitarist but my brother joel uh is is by well and well and truly the lead guitarist now okay great we'll correct that thank you for that <laughs> former lead guitarist former lead yeah. guitarist okay. <laughs> uh so- yeah, just Go to ahead, begin, yeah. uh, how would you describe, if someone had never heard of your band at all, how would you describe Dr. Colossus's music? Uh, we, you know, we've, we've seen it described as doom metal, and we use that in the intro, but what were the terms that kind of you would use to introduce it to somebody? Yeah, I think, I think if you heard um, what we're doing now, it's, it's hard rock or, um, or metal, um, and then if you kind of define the metal area, it's, um, I guess, leans towards um, stoner rock, which is which is probably a bit more blues and riffy based, um, pentatonic riff based and, um, doom, uh, which is a little bit more, I guess, I'm not sure how much your audience is sort of meddled up, but I guess <laughs> a, a little bit more, um, uh, atmospheric sounding, slower sounding, um, um, more morose, more, um, less hope, uh, <laughs> So we, we touch on that, but but generally it's just a hard rock metal kind of band. Okay, great. And um, yeah, how did you first get into metal music and what attracted you to the style to begin with? Um, that's a great question. I was always a kid that loved um, scary stuff like Goosebumps books and um, Ancient Egypt and mummies and... Um, uh, like anything that was kind of spooky, I would be drawn to on TV. And I think um, that kind of led me to liking the feeling of like the thrill of something that's a little bit extreme. And mm. um, and I think uh, probably artwork from from a lot of like horror shows and, and horror books um, went hand in hand with a lot of metal that was all artistically hand-drawn, hand-painted. And so I think I was probably drawn towards the art of a lot of metal 
early on, and then I think I would it would have been Metallica that just really sealed the deal. Hearing mm. as a little kid, hearing Enter Sandman or something like that, and just sort of linking the two, linking the imagery of of extreme stuff with like the way that extreme music could sound, and then that probably started it all. And then I just tried to get it. I just listened to, to more and more extreme stuff until you reach the end of extremity. <laughs> I wonder if there's like a Goosebumps to Metal Pipeline. I was a Goosebumps fan when I was a kid. And I, I never thought about any connection there, though. There probably is an R.L. Stein-themed band, I'm <laughs> sure. Yeah. If not, there should be. Yeah, absolutely. So when you were first getting into stuff like Enter Sandman and eventually, you know, uh, the more extreme, were you paying attention to the lyrics at all? That's a great question. I don't think I was as much early on. Um, I think when you're when when I was that age, it was the the lyrics were probably subconsciously um, important, um, but it was more about the feeling of the music at the mm. time and the power of it. Um, and even bands like, I guess there was bands like like new metal stuff like Corn or Limp Bizkit or something like that where um there there was like almost like deliberately offensive um lyricism i i found that kind of i i was attuned to that as well but i don't think that's necessarily why i got into some of those bands um i think it was more the attitude came across but the lyrics themselves i wouldn't start picking them apart until these like the last maybe five to ten years now I go back and I listen to that stuff and I I kind of am a, a lot more aware of the lyrics. What was the what was the sort of the switch that what caused that switch? I think a big part of it was that I, I actually started playing bass um, for Vance Joy, the folk singing guy, mm-hmm. riptide dude, mm-hmm. ukulele boy. And um, he would hate it if I said ukulele boy. But I was um, I started like playing live um touring as a touring bassist for him and I think I just became really attuned to um songwriters at that point so um what he was trying to do to craft to craft songs that weren't riff based um that using bare essentials like just using chords in essence and and how how can you have a song that's memorable and classic with just chords Mm. Um, you have to really be careful and selective and or maybe not maybe you have to be very free with your lyricism but lyrics have to play a massive role Um, and I think then I I would start listening to more singer-songwriters and going back and I'd listen to metal with that ear and kind of appreciate either appreciate a lot of stuff that I'd listened to back in the day and just how outlandish or clever the lyricism was, or I'd be, I'd come back with quite harsh, harsh ears and condemn a lot of either really poorly written or immoral lyrics or um, yeah, there's like a, there's a whole world of, um, you know, sexist, um, misogynist, um, it's a real 
kind of he-man boys club for a lot of a lot of the metal hard rock mm-hmm. era um and so yeah some of it i can i would i condemn it a little bit um going back and listening to it just being like this is absolute garbage <laughs> going back to new metal it's a little harsh yeah yeah new metal particularly particularly new metal yeah um but I, I I I forgive I forgive some of it. I think it's I think it's a um, there's a naivety to it, and 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 I'm sure a lot of these people like even Fred Durst I think is smarter than a lot of people give him credit for, and I I I suspect if he given the chance now he wouldn't write a lot of the things that he wrote back in the day. Mm-hmm. Mm. So as you became more attentive to metal lyrics, like was there anything that's like kind of jumped out at you as being, uh, you know, a kind of quintessential representation of metal lyrics in either spirit or quality? Yeah. Um, I don't really see metal uh, as genre locked uh, as, as, as that maybe. Um, I guess you can say that... Um, there's probably uh, there's no hard and fast rule with any of that. I I, I guess um, maybe there's like a um, a general undercurrent of um, the protagonist or the song singer songwriter or the lyric writer um, representing uh, the other or um, and maybe a, like an antithesis to society or a. a a slightly um, askew of the of the kind of the norm, um, and I think that like a lot of metal, I'm even thinking of bands like Fear Factory, um, where the lyrics were all based on like um, a metaphor of um, a, a me- mechanized system um, and a virus that's attacking the system or kicking back against the system. Mm. Um, I guess I'm, I'm even like, you know, even Sabbath lyrics are sort of, um, you can't tell me how to live my life. You can't dictate what I put into my body. Uh, I'm going to live free. I'm going to live the way I want to live. There's a, there is a slight, I guess there's, if you had to find commonalities between a lot of the metal lyrics of, things that I grew up with, I guess there's a little bit of that. It's like we're different to the rest of you and fuck you for that. Or <laughs> it's like or it's like um, um, we're different and and I and I as the lyricist love you as the listener and you're amazing mm. and and it's a uplifting, optimistic kind of um, twist on it. Um mm. So maybe it's yeah. Sorry, go ahead. It, it's so maybe it is. It's just a um, a kicking back. The, the extremity of the sort of style, I guess, lends to the fact that you stand. You're ha- You've got you you've got more power to stand alone in in being different. I guess. So within like that kind of broad range, um, is there a, like a style that you uh, specifically connected with, um, and has maybe influenced the way that you approach lyrics? Um, not particularly with lyrics, 
Um, I think definitely the delivery of the lyrics um, and a lot of the metal that I really latched onto would become, or I would go back and realize was a lot of just melodic vocals rather than screaming vocals. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I would always try and write lyrics um, that the lyrics that the lyrics that connect that connected to me most were always lyrics that were um, relatable to some degree, whether that be through humor or through heartbreak or through like a bit of sweetness. Um, and I guess I've always just tried to chase that a little bit as well. Like I think you need to have balance with lyrics. Um, and, and that goes for, for, for metal or goes for anything really. Um, like Cannibal Corpse is cool because you can hear a song of basically like an explicit murder from start to finish. Mm. And there's, but there's no bridge section of the Cannibal Corpse song where the there's remorse or there's, um, you know, um, there's no kind of other side to that coin. Mm. So you need to listen to something else if you want to get another side of the coin. Sure. I like the, I like the idea that that a song itself has both of those sides of the coin. You don't need to go else, elsewhere to find it. You can you can be uplifted at the start and feel waves of joy and then in the middle of it that is questioned and and maybe it it's twisted into guilt and then at the end the result is something in between the two like um i think the songs that i attached to the most and and probably went back and played the most had some element of a balance like that you mentioned humor um do you think like in the past especially do you think that humor has been something that metal's been comfortable with or like do you th- were you able to find kind of humor within metal from the start um it's interesting like i, I wasn't aware I, I, I wasn't thinking about when we started doing dr colossus which is simpsons themed um lyrics yeah i it was just me and my bud nath who um wanted to make songs that were sort of funny to ourselves and and we weren't really aware of, or we hadn't really thought about the lineage of comedy and metal and humorous lyrics in metal in the lead up to that that's something we kind of look we we would we would soon go you know oh there's a there's a, a massive amount of um bands that were never really taking themselves seriously when you think about it and when you actually are, are attuned to it, there's tons of bands that took the piss. Um, and there's, I guess, areas of metal themselves that are humorous. Like thrash metal is generally um, a fairly um, silly space lyrically. Um, either themed bands, loosely themed bands, like municipal waste that is just a, in essence a party pizza thrash band, um, or yeah, or a, a lot of thrash in general is is tongue in cheek and light hearted. And I think because 
people from those shows love to thrash around and, and the tracks are a bit faster. It lends itself to it, to a humorous kind of approach. Um, but yeah, I definitely started to become more attuned to how many bands had funny lyrics after that. Even serious bands that have funny lyrics. Mm. Mm. And have you always kind of adopted this comedic approach um, that you've described, like when writing your own lyrics? Has that been like the case from the beginning or is this something just more recent? Yeah, it's probably just something more recent with Colossus. Um, uh, early on, so some of some of the first bands we were in, we would we would try and write, you know, three quarters of the record we'd write would be, you know, classic teenage boy, um, woe is me kind of lyrics, and then maybe one or two of the songs would come out would be uh, uh, more absurd mm. and. There would always be like one or two outliers that would come through that were like, oh, this is a stupid song, but let's put it on. Um, and I think, yeah, Colossus is obviously the first time where the project itself is the joke mm. and, and then the lyrics are kind of um, all absurd. <laughs> We read, we read an interview uh, with you on how the band came to be, and you mentioned a discussion about trying to find, quote, the heaviest name for the new band, something that was, quote, massive, dumb, heavy, big thing. Uh, did this desire to make sure the band's name kind of feel heavy continue into, like, your lyric process? Has there always been a desire to make the lyrics feel metal in a way? Uh, no, that's a great call. That's a good idea, though. I should actually try and write a song that takes the formula of of heavy lyricism um no it, it, i guess earliest stuff i wrote i shrouded the lyrics the way that maybe um ozzy osbourne might shroud the lyrics mm. so the joke of um i guess the first song we wrote was um, a song called Mono, which was in essence just a retelling of the monorail episode of um, from The Simpsons. But everything was a metaphor or um, shrouded in like a description. Um, so, um, yeah, it's like um, rats to slaughter by your tainted song killing slow, slowly single file um and it's that's in essence just lyle landley the the, the silver-tongued salesman um mm. and the 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 townspeople are kind of like rats to the slaughter to him and the, so like i i think i i, I like the idea that you know metal metal lyrics of, of that kind of nature made everything sound far more interesting mm. and far more verbose and um and far more sinister um than they really are so that that uh, that's in essence all that all that kind of lyric writing was was just a summarized story that ex that already existed on screen and and putting it through this lens of a metaphor of making it sound far more um, sinister or medieval or d deeper and darker than it really is. 
So there always has been a bit of a desire to make it have that kind of like metal darkness or feel to the to the lyrics, or is that something you've uh, moved away from as you've I think I've moved the band. I think I moved away from it. I think I um, and I think probably similar in a similar time to when I started to really get into singer songwriters or or just classic songs, Mm -hmm. like just I'm obsessed with just listening to classic songs, whether that's even Gold FM on the radio and just like picking apart um, some garbage from the 80s. It's just, um, yeah, now I, I want it to, I want to run it through that, um, trying to write a, write a really great song on its own. Um, and and if, it, if it happens to sound like metal lyrics, that's great, but I'm not, I'm not, that's not part of the aim anymore for me. I'm purely interested in writing lyrics that somehow connect um, lyrics that are open-ended enough for people to f- sort of attach their own meaning to subconsciously um, and then have a balance of, of real meat and potatoes as well, stuff that people go, ah, yeah, like that's so easy to understand, that's so clear, that's re- I'll repeat that, that, that bit I will repeat because it's just like a child talking. It's so simple. Um, yeah, I... I I'm, I'm more obsessed about songwriting now, I think, than than the metal, than, than any perceived metal um, style. Mm. Mm. So it's interesting, you know, you've, the way you've talked about your writing and obviously your performance, because a lot of researchers argue that like metal tends to take a kind of distance from its lyrics, right? So positioning them as just like entertainment, not something to be taken seriously. And obviously Dr. Colossus kind of takes this to another level, right? And so we really wanted to ask you, given that, you know, you do often perform as a character, not necessarily as yourself, um, you know, do you think that you tend to take a distance from your lyrics? Do you kind of really see uh, yourself aligning with this idea of, um, you know, the lyricist kind of not like being more removed from the lyrics that they're singing and producing? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yes, per- yes, with performance. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that performance of those songs in character, you know, um, I'm not the character in the songs. Mm. So so my character is this kind of, and only very loosely, a kind of, um, a, I guess, akin to like um, a cult uh, leader or if the st- that Stonecutter's kind of secret society, um, slight undertones of religion, slight undertones of um, uh, sonic mason- masons, stonemasons. Um, and... I guess performing those, I feel like I'm a storyteller and that's the kind of character I take on. But when I'm writing them, I guess I'm actually trying to become the character or put myself, my head into that world directly. Um, And I'm actually trying to do the complete opposite. I'm trying to connect to the human part of the story Mm. um, or the part that made me... um, the part that broke my heart when I watched that episode um, because I think that the human 
um, the human part and the real part and the gritty part is the bit that connects to people if they listen to it and and you're too removed from it when you're writing I suspect well for me everyone's everyone, this is you know everyone's got their own approach but for me I think yeah I need to be more I need to be there and present and very connected to it at the at the outset and then performance flip it on its head and disconnect then hmm. This actually leads into kind of uh, the questions we had about the lyrics in specific, because, uh, you know, first and foremost, we just wanted to ask, like, how do you turn Simpsons quotes and stories like into songs? Because you have songs like It's Still Good, which is direct quotes from the show. Uh, yep. There's tracks like Get Mendoza that tell a story from the show, the story of McBain. Uh, you have songs like Space Coyote or Dr. Tongue, which kind of cover the plot of an episode. And then other songs like Thrill Ho or Hummingbird of Bengal are kind of biographies of characters that go through a lot of different things that they've done. Uh, is there a process in, in deciding what kind of type of song you're going to make? And, and how, I guess, do you take all this, you know, hundreds of episodes and distill them into lyrics? Yeah, well, there's a couple of processes. And Mike, the um, bass player in the band, he writes... Um, uh, particularly on this new record, he writes uh, lyrics for a lot of the songs that he brings to the table too, mm. um, or we work on them together. Um, I guess the, the common thing, though, is that um, there'll be a punchline. The punchline is like... Um, uh, for Hummingbird of Bengal... Um, the song is like a Southern rock um, sounding track. That's like a little bit like clutch or a little bit kind of, uh, you know, very um, pickup truck, white America um, sound. Yeah. Uh, and then I loved the idea of using a poo as a character that would sing that song and and not even tr not attempting to even sound like a poo so mm -hmm. it's a poo's character in essence just singing like uh all-american um you know vet um <laughs> and and so that's the joke mm -hmm. from the out that's that's the punchline from the outset and so the rest the lyric writing then is is kind of focused on trying to achieve that goal so yeah like west bengal born and raised is just a direct link a rip of um uh, fresh prince of bel-air's opening mm -hmm. line um you know i want you to get out and go to hell and thank you come again there are things that apu has said but put in the context of that real kind of american drawl it changes the it changes the feel so um i think that's the same with most of the songs there's always like a, a key zone that we're aiming for mm -hmm. um and maybe that's uh, maybe that's like a, a, a joke like that or maybe in the case of like mendoza or space coyote it's like um what sort of song would what sort of song in the metal world would that episode be? Um, 
if it, if it had to be a, if it had to be a a musical piece and in, in the space coyote episode oh, that's kind of easy for us because it was there's already a lot of music that's um these long winding journey atmospheric builds um that sort of goes hand in hand with the odyssey that homer goes on and so it's just a matter of deciding on what that what that joke is or what that direction is and then the lyrics will come from there usually and it means that you can you kind of just feel like you're on task you need to set some sort of limitations I think otherwise you you can't fit the world into a page so there are times that the music comes first and there's times that the idea comes first is that what yeah 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 absolutely yep and and then um often the spark is I'll, I'll actually be watching an episode of The Simpsons and one of the lines will actually jump out. Uh, like I'll hear the line on the screen and I'll start to sing it before anything else. Like I'll watch an episode, I'll go and get in the car and go for a drive somewhere and I'll be mute, I'll be putting a melody, I will put a melody to a line that was in the show. Um I'll sing it and then that's that's sort of the beginning of of whatever that whatever the line happens to be will inform the next thing I do but yeah that's generally what I'll do that's how I write songs if I hear a phrase someone says a phrase or I have one line of lyric that's written with no melody I'll sing it um hmm. Like there's, I'm just looking here. I don't know if I can flip my camera. Um, there's this box here. Mm. There's congratulations on your new edition. Mm-hmm. Like whatever, something like that that will jump out to me. And I'll just have that line run around my head for the next two hours. And I'll just sing some melodies onto it. And you'd be really surprised, like how after a while it sounds like you intended it to be. <laughs> so based on that, is there like a set of kind of criteria in your mind for like, you know, what makes for an appropriate line to be the inspiration for a given song? Um, not really. I guess we steer away a little bit from, um, I guess there's an idea of what The Simpsons is like if you aren't a huge Simpsons fan mm-hmm. and you probably know a few lines from The Simpsons if you're not a Simpsons fan. Um, like, I, I don't... I think we steer away from, like, super obvious stuff as much as possible. Like, we, I, I, although in saying that, we don't have a song that's got, like, Cowabunga Man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as a chorus or like don't have a cow man or like any of these kind of um I guess very very mainstream quotes that are filtered through to everyone um and I, I think that where we're trying to hit with a lot of them is we imagine that our audience has watched a lot of it and they will hear something that they remember and they will be amazed that it made it into the track, but they will feel even more attached to it because it's quite niche 
and it's something that they lo- they remember and they loved it. So I, I think we just it's not it's not necessarily a hard and fast rule, but yeah, we we try and keep it a little bit. There's a few like abstract, weird references in there that if people get them, it's kind of like hopefully they're stoked on it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, speaking as someone who's not like a big Simpsons fan, I'm like my husband and brother-in-law always rip on me for not having adequate Simpsons knowledge. I did find like when I was looking through the lyrics though that there were a lot of things that kind of like jogged memories in my mind. Like, you know, kind of brought it back from like when I was a child, like sitting at home watching Simpsons and stuff like that. So I think it still has like, Mm -hmm. you know, that effect, even if you're not like a huge Simpsons fan, things kind of like come back to you when you kind of see them written on the page. Yeah, that's nice. (laughs) I like that. That's awesome. How do you like like cull the the massive amount of information though like into a song? For instance, uh, you have the song "Sex Cauldron," which is sort of a biography of Krusty the Clown, uh, yep. focused around kind of the theme is the quote from Maude Simpson that that Krusty rips off of in an episode. Um, but how do you like turn that into the center of a song about Krusty? And then how do you take all the kind of Krusty lore from decades and and chop it down into what fits into a, a like a song like that? Well, again, this is another, this is a song that Mike uh, was, Mike brought to the table uh, and he brought a lot of the lyric kind of direction to the table, but he probably took a similar approach to me with when I was working on it too. Um, The point of the song is that Krusty is pathetic and and has ruined his life because of, um, you know, just a, a overindulgence, um, morally corrupt lifestyle. And the sex cauldron is this imaginary or non-imaginary venue of folklore that perhaps he, like, wasted his life away at. We're sort of never really told about any details of the sex cauldron in the show it's just a sort of reference that seems to spark crusty into some kind of you know i thought they shut that place down like it's it's obviously some place that he's spent some time so i think we just had this the common goal in that and it's unspoken we don't really sit down and go okay we have a goal here but i think the common goal is probably that you know the lyrics and the story needs to really just reflect Krusty's downfall. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the chronicalization of the verses is then just a, um, a list of the sort of the downfall. Mm -hmm. It's blowing all his money and um, you know, (laughs) buying basketball teams and, yeah, just like that's the that's the thing we want to get across with that song. So mm-hmm. that helps us to cut out things that you know. There's lots of stuff that happens to Krusty, um, and 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 some of it fits into that world. Some mm-hmm. of it paints him as a a real piece of work. So let's grab that, and then of those thirty things that fit into that world. Only ten sound great when you put them in a verse and fit the fit the sort of syllable structure of the because that song's you know quite all, everything's on the one. It's like um, 
disappointment to my name. Hyman's a broken man. Like everything's on the ones. So yeah, if it if it'll fit the theme, then it fits the song as well. Then it's in, um, and we might just some do some shuffling once once the general structure's there. So how about, um, you know, when you move from the opposite direction, like, so we're thinking about, you know, songs like Dr. Colossus, where, you know, you have a character that only really appears in one episode, you know, being featured in a whole song. Uh, how do you kind of uh, build a song around, you know, a character or an idea um, that doesn't necessarily have as much material attached to it? I fill it with feelings. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, and it's probably a good technique to use in general, if you have limited details, then you put yourself in the gaps. Um, and so I think in that song, I, I can't, I can't recall off the top of my head without having it in front of me necessarily, but um, I would just, with the limited details we have about Dr. Colossus, we can assume things Um We'd assume he's pretty lonely um, and he he's a divorcee. Um, he's obviously been, had his run-ins with the law. Um, and so you extrapolate out that he's a heartbroken supervillain um, that has lots of regrets and is not a... Um, is not a uh, he's not a Marvel character. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's just filling the gaps in and then exploring maybe so we're exploring misery, which is never really it's never really sort of explicitly said in the show that he's a miserable guy. Um, we just it's like barely anything's really shown of him. He's 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 obviously um, a bit of a his namesake sounds. His name sounds very like sinister, but he, he's him himself doesn't seem very sinister at all. So yeah, I, I just fill the gaps, I suppose. What about while you're doing that? We noticed that um, as you kind of approach the lyrics, you use a lot of rhyme in the way that you tell the stories. Like in the song "Thrill Ho," you have uh, "Blue Haired Boy," "Nelson's Wedgie Toy," "Luann's Shining Star," "My Dad Sleeps in a Race Car," uh, <laughs> the song "Pick a Bar," "Slowly Melting in My Car." What the hell is "Pick a Bar"? Uh, is is rhyme something you feel kind of important to your lyric writing? Um, for "Pick a Bar," that definitely, but that's based on the episode itself mm-hmm. um i think that i i think because that word in when home is trying to remember to pick up bar mm-hmm. and there's all these repeat repeated um signs in his life that should trigger his memory to go and pick up Bart. he still doesn't get it and i think something about that repetition made me link and rhyme everything um through that song like even um in that track in that in that episode they um the kids are talking about going and seeing um barton fink Mm -hmm. and um it's like this kind of like so it's such a, a movie that kids just wouldn't be excited to go and see at all but they chant barton fink like it's some cool um you know it's like they're going to see Terminator or something or like, and they're like, 
even just the repetition of that section where they're just like, Barton Fink, Barton Fink. It's like, why... The fact that they repeat that line stood out to me as well. So I think any of those lines, any anything where there's repetition, I, I kind of just naturally that triggers rhyme for me. Um, it's like it's like hammering a point and, mm. and like laboring something that you 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 get it in like the first one or two lines that this thing rhymes, but it's going to keep going. With um, Thrill Ho. Again, that's one a, a track Mike brought to the table. So I won't speak for him, but I think um, that was just the way that we we wrote those lyrics in a very traditional um, kind of poem layout. So it was almost like a limerick in the way that the rhyme would always come come back and, and hit at the end. Um, it wasn't something conscious, but I I never I think I always lean in towards a rhyme, just in general. Mm-hmm. Outside of this band, in in, in all bands, I, I'm I'm a bit of a sucker for the rhyme. I like a I like a nice wrap up at the end of a um, at the end of a verse, um, and then I feel like when you break away from it, there's usually a point to that. So if you don't rhyme a word, it stands out more if, mm. if the majority of the rest of it's kind of got a rhyme to it. I like the rules of the rhyme. I like the limitations of the rhyme. Mm. And we also notice that there are a few cases um, where you do use swear words in your lyrics, not many, and um, you know most of them admit a goddamn, which I don't know if we'd necessarily consider that to be a swear word in the strictest of senses. Um, and I think there's one occasion where you say, like, any shit out of luck. Uh, so we think that these aren't direct quotes, if we're not mistaken. Um, let us know if we are. But uh, is this something that you've intentionally added? Uh, and is there an effect that you're looking to generate with this edition? Um, that's a good question. I, um, no, I think um, we're not hiding away from the fact that our voice is different to the show's voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's probably the way we would, you know, retell something like, is shit out of luck. That's just like... That's just a phrase we would use. And so we probably, I guess we're talking to an audience that's similar to ourselves and we're not talking to children necessarily. So it's, yeah, there's no conscious reason for that. I think it's just the way that we we retell and that's our, that's our vernacular. The goddamn, I think, might be, um, more of a piss take on an American ism, yeah, and maybe shit out of luck is too, in the way that like when we have a con- when we as members of the band would converse, a lot of and, and a lot of Australians would use a lot of, a lot of Americanisms to to maybe dramatize something they say. I think that's probably. Yeah, about the extent of it. I, I generally like the fact that we don't swear that much. Mm. Not because I think it needs to be clean or appeal to more people or anything like that. I think it's just a um, there's an innocence to The Simpsons, which I think is kind of nice to keep intact. 
So do you think that would be challenged if you were to use like what are generally considered to be like more extreme swear words like fuck or something? Yeah, I think it, I think it would be very funny, but I think it would be short-lived. Mm. Um, I think that like I do like that gag. I do like that. I, I do really like the idea of writing an extremely explicit song um, based on The Simpsons, but I just don't think it would have longevity for us. Um, it's 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 like there's no emotion in there. I think the the themes and the things that keep you coming back to songs or the things that make you want to write them is based on human condition at some point and the jokes come from there as well. So the swearing thing would be funny though, but I just think, I think that's more like for a grindcore band, Mm -hmm. you know, that's like a one minute, like, you know, a real quick punchline where you're just in and out, but yeah, I, Maybe not for Dr. Colossus. Okay. I mean, in general, though, speaking of, like, adding things, and do you feel you have a bit of freedom to, to play? Because, like, I don't mean to uh, say, like, hey, this is, uh, you know, a mistake or something, but we did notice that there are some, like, quotes that you made slight changes to. Uh, one yeah, of the most they're, obvious... probably, they're probably mistakes. Oh, okay. Well, if it is, but... uh, yeah, we could, like, uh, I just, the one I was curious about is, is the song, It's Still Good. Um, oh yeah yeah is, yeah um uh you have the only lyrics in the song are it's just a little dirty it's just a little greasy it's just a little airborne it's still good which i didn't remember what that was from um so i i looked it up and it's the episode where uh lisa pushes homer's uh barbecued pig down the street and he's chasing it and trying to say it's still edible um and in the episode it wasn't uh just a little greasy it was just a little slimy yeah. i was wondering is that like was that an intentional change or was that just like a a mistaken remembrance or what yeah like do you or do you feel that you can mess with the lyrics a bit as you need to no that was pure that's just i it was one of those ones that i didn't go back and re-watch and <laughs> okay and, and and my memory had always i in my mind it was always greasy and mm-hmm. i just i wrote those lyrics and like a like a um, series of swiss cheese holes all lining up no one mentioned it um and it was only when I kind of, at one point, someone someone on YouTube had lined all the tracks up with episodes or something at one point, and I was like, I don't think it, he even says greasy there. So it was just that's just me. That's just the way I remembered that lyric, uh, that um, quote, um, <laughs> complete misfire. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, it happens a little bit. There's some inconsistencies throughout. Um, and some of them, most of them are, um, most of them are just, they're like decisions we have to make to keep the, the line lyrical mm-hmm. or keep it, keep it working in a song. But there's like, like that one you've just picked up then is just pure just we didn't go back and fact check or get the line right. We just stuffed it up. <laughs> I mean, based on that, then how important is it to fact check or, you know, have the quotes be totally accurate? Well, probably super important. I reckon that, um, you know, if I look at this with my um, editorial brain, I, I would be like, you know, Someone should have got fired for that blunder. But 
I think in the context of the band, it doesn't really matter. Um, you know, the fact that you noticed it and talked about it is cool. That's great. Um, like we don't, we, anyone talking about or questioning something in the lyrics is good as far as I'm concerned. And it just shows that they've listened to it and they've spotted some kind of bit that jumped out. So I don't care about that. That's good. But I think the joke of this band, the integrity of the fact that it, it needs to really, if, if it's based on this world, it needs to be hitting its straps and, and it needs to be accurate. You know, we should have checked that and, and we should, we should uh, for the sake of the, the overall gag, accuracy, accuracy should be important. So do you get that a lot? Like people coming up to you and saying like, oh, I noticed like this is from this episode or like, oh, I thought this is like a bit of a deviation from like the original quote or like, you know, those kind of comments? Uh, not, not so much. The only other one we've I've, um, encountered was I think um, in Stupid Sexy Flanders, mm-hmm. I think I dubbed him as a Catholic. Mm. I don't think he's a Catholic. No, they're all Protestants, right, I think? Protestant. Yeah, yeah. So live I changed the word Catholic to Christian. Mm. I just sort of went back out. Um, you know, there's a couple of things like that that um, have been brought up to us. Like someone or someone, and it's usually a close friend, like, there's probably people that pick up on it and just don't ever mention it. But then we've got a few close friends that are real Simpsons nerds mm. and, and we love and love them. And I think they feel like, you know, I got, yeah, I found something. I found something that you stuffed up. Um, so it's fun. That's good. It's like, you need to be held accountable for that. If you're going to, if you're already going to, um, rip on something that exists you need to rip on it right like to talk about like ripping on things and gags in general we kind of want to detour a little bit just to talk about humor and metal um a bit and how that's done because it's hard to express by an interview because but your lyrics are incredibly funny like the listening to the songs i actually was just had some friends over and i was playing your guys lyrics while we did some uh, games and stuff and one of them was just like cracking up like just in the corner the one that i guess knew the simpsons most uh just the little things that were there uh, and I'm wondering how do you kind of make something that you know will be funny? Like there's all these, there aren't like straightforward jokes in the sense of uh, some, like there's there's metal gag bands that make like jokes and the kind of punchline things, but yours have these more kind of like Easter eggs and references. We talked about pick a bar. Um, one that stuck out for me is the, the chorus of Ah, the Miracle Mile. When I first heard that, I did not remember the episode at all. And it felt like it, it came off like the, with a sense of longing and nostalgia and then when I found the context was Homer driving through like a strip mall and looking at, um, you know, light up restaurant signs, it, it, the humor of it just like hit really hard. Is this kind of framing something that you spend time on? Like, do you want to make, is there a bit of effort that you kind of want the audience to have to get the jokes? Is that, is that kind of a goal you have when you frame them? You can't craft. I don't think you can craft that um, deliberately. Like I think that you have to just try stuff out and, when you put it in the context. So like that line was, again, this is, and that's a weird one. Like 
Lad Lad, Joel wrote that, wrote the music entirely, basically wrote the whole song musically first. Mm-hmm. And he said, I've got the idea that this song would be based around the Lad Lad donut guy. <laughs> and because he doesn't write the lyrics mm-hmm. and, and he's, you know, he's got a very basic um, kind of grasp of the Simpsons world. His, his world's music and shredding and guitar. Um, and so for whatever reason, when he wrote that song, he, he had that, he's like, I, I think of this, like the lad lad, you know, Iron Man, kind of giant Iron Man coming to life. So there's like Sabbath's Iron Man that mm-hmm. has kind of um, that kind of idea as well in, in the metal world. Um, so I literally just watched that episode a ton of times and just when Homer's, when that line came up, to me, the way Homer phrases it sounds like lyrics already. Like, I think it's just the way where he pauses, like it's a, it's like a, it's like a pre-written lyric and maybe it's referencing something else that I never picked up. He might be referencing a, uh, there might be because often Simpsons will do that. They'll they'll be they'll be referencing a, a quote from someone else, but for whatever reason, that lyric just stood out, and I just I just forced it in to the chorus, um, and it happened to work well. Like I thought it fit really well, and and it ticked the box for me of like an emotive sounding lyric. Um, you know, it, it begins with an exasperate uh, I'm not sure what you call those but like an ah you know yeah. it, it began with the uh, that's like a, an emotional kind of call mm-hmm. to arms in a way um, you know couldn't we can plan it but just like we just kept taking the steps towards what the goal was a little bit and along the way you find those sort of nuggets and you kind of dra- grab them when you can when you can get them, you just grab them and plop them in, and that's the that's where the joy is of songwriting. Mm. I think for us, us finding those little bits that work feels like you've, you know, leveled up in a game of Tetris or something. Yeah, because like, like I, I had a, honestly a bit of an emotional response to like the way that the line is done with that awe, and then just kind of the miracle of mile sounded so poetic, and I felt like. A fool when I realized where it came from, and that kind of made it even funnier to me in a way. Uh, that's good. That's nice. Yeah, that's just purely that. Those, I guess, that's just the hemispheres of I'm trying to write melodies that are kind of classic, mm-hmm. that 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 hit no matter what the lyric is, mm-hmm. and then, and and I'm not even doing I'm not doing that with any sense of humor in my heart at all. I'm doing that purely as like what is the best chorus I can write here. Um, and then when that's done, if you've done it earnestly and you've, if I feel like if I've worked on it earnestly and with the humour aside, then the humour is in the fact that the lyric is, just shouldn't be there. Like it's just, <laughs> just a total... <laughs> Yeah, it's just it's just a, a 
total juxtaposition. Well, now that you've said that, that's actually something that like we found really interesting and even impressive about your lyrics is how the songs are often phrased um, or framed in a way that feels, you know, um, as vague as it sounds, like, you know, quite poetic, as you've said, but also, you know, quite recognisably metal, um, even if that's not your intention. Um, and, you know, some of them read like they're even, you know, commenting on something or expressing, uh, you know, the singer's feelings. And I think maybe the most obvious example of this is the fact that, you know, the songs are comedic, as we've just discussed, and yet do often have quite a very dark tone a lot of the time. And I think, you know, this kind of makes sense in the context of The Simpsons because The Simpsons is known for being, you know, sometimes quite dark in its messaging, um, but, you know, being often kind of veiled by the show's generally kind of light and innocent spirit, as you mentioned earlier. Um, but it seems to me like even just when I'm reading the lyrics that uh, a lot of your songs do kind of seem more straightforwardly dark, even if they are comedic. Uh, and this comes through in songs that you mentioned earlier, like Mono, that begins with that line, uh, you know, rats to slaughter by your tainted song. Um, were you actually trying to like highlight the darkness of The Simpsons in writing these lyrics, even if you weren't trying to make the lyrics sound metal in any way? Yeah, definitely early on, because um, I thought that was kind of part of the joke uh, world. Like that, that is a good joke to do. <laughs> so uh, yeah, and again, I think in those early, that was the first song we wrote. The second song I wrote was the one about. Um, Ralph, um, Ralph's unrequited love mm. for Lisa, and I, I called it "Son of a Pig," mm -hmm. um, which is just sort of like you know trying to trying to be like as absurdly um, hateful towards the pol police as possible. Like something like at the time I was probably like, oh, you know, that's what a sort of hardcore band would do. Or um, so I think early on, yeah, that adding darkness to it was like a, a deliberate um, tact, um, but it wasn't, uh, it, yeah, it didn't sort of, it wasn't the way it, it always ran after that. There was, there was a, um, there was a, I think there was a bit more of a lightheartedness as we went on with this band that came through. What about like songs like Thrill Ho? Because that's about Millhouse, which I guess is kind of inherently depressing. Um, and you have the the line that I love on that is the chorus, uh, "Nothing's coming up me," which is uh, uh, no, yeah. nothing coming up Millhouse like inversion. Yeah. yeah. Like was that was that a time that you were was that in the period you were trying to move away from the darkness, or did that just kind of like happen to be dark because it's about Millhouse and he's like inherently kind of a pathetic character? So that's, I think you've made me realize where the humor line switched, and it was when uh mike our bass player joined the band um uh, that line was one of mike's mm. um so it was i think i think he has a little bit more of a light-hearted and and um uh silly uh side when it comes to writing lyrics um which yeah, just came in and brought a different voice into the into the sort of, sort of style of the lyricism. Um, pre his involvement in the band, I think that's when the lyrics were more shrouded in sinister and shrouded in like evil. Um, so yeah, I think that's probably his his influence there as well. And 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 that being his own lyrics that he brings in and own, own lyric ideas and also like allowing me to feel like I can 
you know, contribute those sort of lyrics and it will still work as well. Do you feel any pressure that like metal kind of has to, if metal is going to be funny, it has to be dark. Like, have you had encountered people just being against the idea of, of humor and metal in general? Uh, sure. There'll be like a few people, I'm sure. I, I, I think um, generally, no, um, I, I don't think it matters. And I mean, it, definitely not for us. Like we listen to a lot of heavy stuff that the lyrics are, um, you know, stupid, but the band is, the bands are like, great like the melvins are like renowned for dumb lyrics um or absurd silly childish lyrics um yeah i I don't think it really i don't think it really matters to us but i think there's probably quite a few people that we would want to go and play festivals with or be booked by that wouldn't know where to throw us Um, you know, the general path of a metal band would be to, um, start live shows, start doing some small live headlines, maybe get some, some international support slots with different bands, get a booking agent to kind of pit you with bands of a similar world and, for whatever reason, those seem to be hard for us to get. I think it's partly, uh, A, A, we suck, but B, it's just that, like, we're not, um, we're not, like, we're not a comedy band. Mm -hmm. And so you wouldn't put us into a a lineup of a bunch of funny bands. Right. Um, But we're not, like, a typical metal band either so when you've got a lineup of a bunch of you know atmospheric doom bands we don't fit into that realm um we're not like traditionally like a desert stoner rock band um though we generally would go right on that sort of a lineup um so I think there's like probably it's more just confusion from people that if they don't if they don't know the band they're kind of just like uh like I don't know where what to do with them in mm. the industry and 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 so you end up just waiting for a band like when Oakley Doakley ended up coming out and touring where, who who the hell else is going to support those guys <laughs> it's like so a very specific um, mm. you find yourself really pushing back from being put into specific spots sure. which we try and just do as much as we can with as many people as possible to keep everything as broad as we can well seeing as like you know obviously you know that much of your lyrical content does focus on the simpsons it is interesting though to observe how you know some of your lyrics do kind of branch out from that world um given that there's you know songs like uh lard lad uh, where you have uh, lines like greed beckons greed or uh, that's what you welcome when you trust advertising, which don't appear to be from The Simpsons, if I'm not mistaken, although they do make sense given the song's focus on the episode where Springfield's advertising mascots come to life. Uh, is this just extra framing or have you actually tried to kind of, uh, you know, step outside of The Simpsons' world and integrate things like social critique into the music that you've developed with the band? Yeah, I think a bit of both of that. I think, um, yeah, if maybe stepping into that world mm. and 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 then 
working out the parts of that episode that resonate with me. Right. Um, as on a, a personal kid, level? As a, on a personal level. Mm. As a kid, the parts of that episode that resonated with me would have been, um, you know, Bart on the shoulders of the Satan, the evil Satan kicking the school, breaking the school down. Um, <laughs> like, and nowadays when I watch it, I'm, I'm like, ah, the, it's a commentary on um, the power that commerce and advertising and brands have over people when mm-hmm. they empower them with their attention. That's very interesting. That resonates with me a lot. Um, And so I naturally just lean into that area of the episode um, and extrapolate a little bit of, I like the idea of having that song kind of, because it finishes on a verse. It's like a, it's like a final verse. And, and to me, that's kind of like, a summary or a wrap up or where a moral of the story would go. Um, and so you have to bring new words into that world to sort of the audience summarizes that episode themselves, really. Um, we're left to come up to that conclusion. We don't have Lisa necessarily coming in at the end of the episode saying, well, we all learned something today, <laughs> which they often do. Um, that's left to us. So mm-hmm. in the in the final verse, I think I, I like the idea of summarising it and at being like, you know, you reap what you sow and if you want to... And this, that's a metal thing to do as well, I think. Like, you know, there's a lot of uh, pseudo-environmentalism in metal and there's a lot of um, watch what you do and you'll reap what you sow and, um, you know, um, the apocalyptic um warnings foreshadowing human behavior and and how you're going to meet your own demise so i think it was probably unconsciously um a little bit of that another interesting one is um hummingbird of bengal because it's the only time where you actually talk about the simpsons itself as a show yeah in the lyrics say what you like about stereotypes more upstanding than all of my peers though strictly hindu and voiced by a white dude the boundaries just really ain't clear is this kind of an extension of these ideas or was like there is any hesitation in writing lyrics that broke down the fourth wall in this way? Because I think it's the first time you've done that in, in one yeah. of your songs. Well, it was, uh, again, it was like taking one step up after the other. Um, I liked the idea of using Apu as a character in this song because mm-hmm. it, it was um, already a, a sort of juxtaposition on cultural norm. And because I wasn't going to be voicing Apu, then um, we already sort of have him in this Americanized like um, background. We've we've sh- we've shifted his kind of character into mm-hmm. another into another culture, and I thought that um, I think that it's really important to it, it would be it would be really lazy to not address. Um, the fact that you're um, you're already playing in this world where you're commenting on culture, um, 
And if you don't, I guess, address that directly, mm. your um, audience might not quite realise whether you're taking the piss, whether you're, what your intention is. And I think I, I really wanted to make it clear that our intention was that of analysis and not of um, uh, a sort of appropriation or a, or a cheap um, kind of, like there was, there was idea, there were, we, had, we threw around ideas of when, you, when you're working with different, any different cultural reference musically, Get Mendoza, for example, there's a sort of a Middle Eastern or a, um, a kind of, uh, I'm not sure what the, what the instrument is, but there's a sort of a Middle Eastern undertone to the... Sitar? Is that... Yeah, it's not a sitar, but it's, no. it's like a similar, similar kind of sound. Mm. It actually just might be a guitar, but it's affected to sound like that. Um, and... And even like the South American, there's a South American kind of um, pan flute at the start of uh, Space Coyote. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, I think it's really, we laboured over those sort of decisions as to whether or not we were parodying a um, a culturally recognisable sound which we didn't want to be doing, did it help the world that we were trying to build with the song? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, was it evocative of, of, of foreign? Was it evocative of, um, did it, and did that make that foreign thing sound, seem evil or sinister? Um, and so, yeah, it's something we're, we're aware of and I think it's just like, by the fact that we're four white guys that grew up in Victoria, we know our, our knowledge is limited of a lot of um, cultural um, specificities. And so I think Apu is almost like a comment on that there's no cut and dry with Apu's voice actor um, being a white American guy. It's... I, I think it's silly to. I think it's silly to just after that debate came out about Hank Azaria playing Apu's character. I think it's like immoral to just carry on as normal without putting in some questions, uh, and, and moving forward from this point after that conversation has happened. I think it's. I think it would just be a wasted song if it was just here's our poo here's what he does he's chilling um like the the um the cultural cultural significance of that conversation surrounding our poo's voice actor was the most interesting part of our poo's kind of um, place because it questions it brings into question when you go back and watch a lot of those episodes you know, now I go back and watch them and it makes me question a lot of the decisions they make about Apu's character. Mm-hmm. 
and and the insight we get to his family and um, people of colour in general in the show. Mm. So I think it was our way of just sort of, for me it was just a way of being like, we we are bringing in we're breaking the fourth wall here we're acknowledging that this is a um this is the this is the cultural discussion that needs to happen around our poo and it would be remiss to not mention the fact that he's voiced by, by a white dude and uh it's it's a sort of um very unclear mm. moral ground of 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 is is that right? Um, and and maybe the song is tone deaf in a little bit in that respect as well, but hopefully not. This discussion of um kind of culture and and has got me thinking about something that I didn't actually plan to ask, but it's, it's something that's kind of been on my mind as I've been uh, listening to your music and actually talking about you with a number of like Aussie friends who are all like the minute I say Simpsons themed, like before I even say metal band, they get excited. Yeah. Um, I'm just wondering, like you've answered questions about like why Simpsons in the past, but what do you think is, why do you think there's such a strong cultural connection in Australia to the Simpsons as, especially as an American show as an imported show talking about um, that, why do you think The Simpsons is such an important source of like meaning and memory and joy and and like you've just done now reflection uh, for so many Australians? Probably for the same reason that it is with Americans, um, but then and, and that that's like the fundamental kind of building blocks of this show, I guess, is mm-hmm. that it's um, it's based around a family a kind of nuclear family in a way of like yeah, a bunch of characters that are, it's character based. So everyone knows someone that's similar or is someone similar um, and everyone's flawed, um, which we love as, as audience. We love to see flaws and then we like to see redemption of those flaws. So Homer's characters in essence constantly vulnerable to his flaws and then he redeems himself and we kind of always go on that journey with him so i think on a base level universally and at least universally in the western world you know it has the formula there that we will attach to it and then i think it was a matter of the timing of uh the actual broadcast of the show. Um, it was on like peak times when we were growing up and we were around our families and we were, we were at home and we were associating it subconsciously with protection and warmth. And, and it was an escapism from that as well. It was a mm. little bit, na- it was a little bit naughty and it was mm. a little bit, um, I had friends that weren't allowed to watch it. Um, <laughs> Same. There was like, um, yeah, a good combination of all of those things. It was like a, a a warm, nice place where you could go and you associate it with you growing up. And I think I think 
the hardcore kind of Simpsons meme um, community that exist today are probably people in a very similar way grew up and are nostalgic of that time and the the show was at its absolute best you know as it as it developed from there by the time we were starting to understand good jokes good comedy good writing um the show was like hitting its straps around season four and five and six it's just like rapid fire intelligent jokes um jokes you've got to work for a little bit nothing's just given to you on a plate um it's just oh, the best of the best writers comedy writers working on on a show that already had this sort of incredible foundation of connection with people so to kind of wrap up this whole line of thinking then um ultimately what would you say uh, is the role of uh, you know your lyrics and language use in the lyrics more generally within dr colossus's music um I would say where we play the role of a curator, uh, we curate mm. we curate um, content that we think, when put into a particular song or a particular frame, we can bring something new to the tale of of that, um, whether that be culturally and society based from a sort of broad level or um, emotional, um, personal um, and kind of individual resonating with particular parts of songs. Um, Yeah, to create connection, new connections through those through those um juxtapositions how's that great <laughs> beautiful way to that's a fantastic ending line amazing <laughs> i don't think i'd ever say that i don't think i'd ever summarize something like that in like if it was a metal injection interview or something like that <laughs> well we, we try to create a space for for different kinds of answers yeah <laughs> yeah you got it on record now yeah that's all right well, awesome. Thanks so much for taking your time to speak with us. Uh, you've just released um, your latest album pretty recently. Uh, is there anything that's coming up, though, that people that are fans should look out for? Uh, so, yeah, we're, um, we're going to do a launch, obviously, for the, the album came out last year, but we had to postpone all of our launch shows. So this year we'll hopefully be able to slot in some more um, touring of the record and, and go and play it live. And um, when I recover, I've got COVID. So when I recover oh. from, from having this thing, I will um, be training my voice back up and <laughs> getting strong. Yeah. Oh, geez. Well, sorry to hear that. Well, yeah, it's okay. It was inevitable, unfortunately. Mm. Mm. Yeah, well, thank you, especially for making the time given the circumstances. Uh, we really appreciate you talking to us. Glad you still have your voice. I've heard yeah. some people don't. So. I don't have my taste or smell. Oh, geez. Oh, that's also pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah, but we'll see. Hopefully it comes back soon.
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, hope you, hopefully you get on the men soon. But um, yeah, thank, thanks for, for chatting, Phil. It was really interesting. Um, glad we got to talk to you. Yeah. And yeah. Oh, sorry, just lastly, is it, where should uh, people go if they want to check out uh, more of your projects? Uh, DrColossusTheBand.com is a, a good spot. Um, and then in terms of my other projects, um, I've got a, another character called Casino Stepdad that um, I haven't I haven't put out any any um, releases with yet, but uh, that's that's something that you can go and check out as well. He's like a sort of fifty-something-year-old um, uh, outer suburb guy that used to play in a few bands, and he's getting back into the music scene now with his keyboard. So you can you can go and check that out too. Right on. Yeah, well, we'll put those links in the description as always. And uh, yeah, Very good. That should that should be it from us. So yeah, thanks for sticking around. Yeah. Thanks for your questions. It's nice to um, it's nice to hear um, that you've sort of yeah listened pretty intently to some of those lyrics and made me think about them. So it's good. <laughs> Take care of yourselves. Cool. You too, man. Hope you recover soon. Yeah. Cheers. See ya. Bye. Thank you for listening to Lingua Italica. We hope you enjoyed it and we hope you stay tuned for our next episode. Before we leave, we just wanted to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. <laughs>